Hello, friend. Welcome to the Watery Desho podcast. We are so happy to have the pleasure of your company. If this is your first time listening, sit back, relax. We hope you enjoy. If you are coming back because you enjoy our content and you'd like to support us, you can go to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Desho. We've got all kinds of fun rewards and bonus content like early access, Discord roles, additional audio and video content, all in three budget-friendly tiers. If you're not able to support us financially, no biggie. We totally understand. If you'd like to help us out uh, for free, you can always give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our discoverability. You can follow us on SoundCloud, on Twitter, at WaterWeDesho. You can always send us an email at WaterWeDesho at gmail.com if you want to correspond with us. We may not get to read every correspondence on the show, but I can promise you that we do read and try to respond to every single one because we do love our community, which we hope you'll be a part of. Thank you for your kind attention, friend. And without further ado, let's get to the show. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and MPs. Welcome to Warrior Death Show's Stream of Thoughts here, covering Vinland Saga. We're up to episode 15 now, you know, we're getting into the teens, you know, the, the late troublesome pit years of. Boy, how do things go? We you know, get a little troublesome in this particular episode. Uh, this one is after Yule, and, uh, well, if it's like anything like modern Christmas, uh, you know what comes immediately after Christmas? January. And you know what January says? Fuck you, and fuck the lot of you, because January is a, is a shit month, and it wants you to know about it. And for at least one or, well, for two characters, I suppose, uh, this January is going to be particularly bitter for them. Uh, but anyway, enough about that. We'll, of course, cover the episode in just a little moment. I'm, of course, as always, Shaden, and I'm currently exercising my big hoodie energy because it's too cold in here, like too cheap and nasty to use my actual heating. Uh, but join me for Across the Pond, but close to my heart is a man who's not got big hoodie energy, but he's got a big heart and a big mind as well, you know, and a really, really nice big bookcase I'm going to steal all this shit from eventually when I finally... <laughs> is, of course, the Soul Doctor. Uh, i just like to say that I was born in January, so... You've now bespurched the month of my birth, calling it no good and shitty and never having anything good to offer. And yet, this is when I came to this earth. And you're saying that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, the podcast ads comes with an end sometimes. <laughs> finally got that moment out of the way. And hey, I stand by most of what I said. Okay, there's one thing. There's one thing. Uh, what's the other are there any others? Let me think. No. Okay, moving on. <laughs> is uh, is Thorfinn going to ask Canute to the New Year's Eve party? The big, the big well, bash. Kinda... Well, I don't think I don't think uh, Canute has got anywhere else to go with him after this episode. Oh, is that a bit too soon? Don't spoil. Oh. You're you're going to spoil don't, it. Don't spoil the episode. <laughs> I'm going to spoil a discussion anyway. <laughs> it's all in due time. All in due time. Oh dear! <laughs> oh no! Uh, shouts to Facebook. Oh 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 oh! Who's recovering from oral surgery? That. Oh. Ooh. I'm sorry to hear that, man. I hope, I hope you get well soon. Yeah. Um. 
Al. Like uh, uh, the. <laughs> I, I hope. I hope. Like if I make you laugh or if I make you cringe from what I say, <laughs> but, you know, it isn't too painful to move your jaw around or anything like that. Uh, have you? Um, uh, have you had your wisdom teeth out, Shadon? No. Hmm. That's um. It's one of those things that like, you know when you just sort of read it on paper, you're like, oh, this surgery will be not a big deal to recover from, but, oh, man, it, <laughs> I was hurting for, like, a week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, you know, maybe I'm just holding on to it because it's the only bit of wisdom I've got in me, I'd say. <laughs> Stop it. All right. So, yeah, uh, we're going to be covering episode 15 today. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh. Uh, oh. So uh, much wisdom uh, removed. <laughs> well... I hope I. Ugh, I'm so sorry, Sam. I hope, I hope, I hope you, you can, do feel better soon. Yes, I hope that you're able to relax and you've got something for your pain, and that your time in recovery will help you not just recover your body but refresh your mind and all that stuff. So yeah. be well. If you if you want to put us on mute and just imagine us talking about like you know shipping forecasts or something, you can do that for sure. If that'll help, you know, <laughs> try and cut down on the amusement. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so yes, is indeed after Yule, uh, episode 15. I'll be going to just the, uh, you know, the plot summary in just a moment, but I believe I'm going to just hand it over to Doc for two bits of homework. First, or rather housework, I mean to say. Uh, firstly, uh, we've got to talk about the previous set of polls we had, and then, of course, we've also got to talk about the people behind this particular episode. Well, about that second bit. Uh, mm. I've been to the Wikipedia page where I usually get my information. And I've gotten uh, an individual known as TBA that was responsible for writing, directing, and ah, storyboarding. The, inf- the infamous animus, anime script writers, you know, uh, storyboarder, general polymath, and all around, you know, jack of all trades. <laughs> TBA, TBA. Quite, my, my, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, who was the, uh, I'm getting so old. I'm going to try to look this up in real time as I talk, but... um. Uh, oh yeah, uh, if you ever see, uh, this reminds me, and this is a little a little bit of, of knowledge. I don't know how widespread it is, but if you ever are looking at a Sunrise production, Sunrise being the anime studio responsible for like a lot of really big popular mecha shows like Mobile Suit Gundam and um, you know various other ones, but Gundam kind of being the mainstay, uh, they you know, love their individual creators so much, <laughs> sarcasm, <laughs> that uh, a lot of times, I don't know if they do this as much today, but like in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, often you would see a name get credit, Hajime Yatate. And Uh-oh. after a while, you'd be like, man, this Hajime Yatate, what a talented MFer. Like that guy's been, like he's done so much of everything. And it's just like, it's just- well, basically... why does he appear at conventions? Yeah, it's just- it is a pseudonym that basically means Sunrise Staff that they they don't want to give individual credit to. So it's what like a, <laughs> what a bunch of wankers. <laughs> so the TBA nice one, Sunrise, yeah, the TBA made me think of that. But um, oh dear. So, yeah, I don't have that info this week. I went to the Vinland Saga website, but I couldn't really find where to like look up. Um directors for episodes i saw like the main the main staff page and it was just kind of like a jumble of information with that i didn't really know how to parse it um but hey uh, you came away with a bitch in rabbit stew recipe didn't you that's right yeah <laughs> exactly 
I got a rabbit stew recipe. You're, cook- you're cooking that when you get on tonight for you and your missus and your family. I reckon they'll love that. I know. I got the, you know, uh, the Ragnar vegetable chopping technique. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta put that one, you know, commit it to memory because I suck at chopping vegetable. I really, really suck at it. Like I'm terrible <laughs> at like cutting onions, peppers. Like it takes me forever. So, um, that will be I'll have to teach you the technique because I, I I know how to do that. Ooh, well, I'd yeah, be all it's one it's one it's one of the few cooking things I do know apart from just throwing shit in the oven for twenty minutes. And well, if it's edible or not, who cares? You know, I'm time. I've got I've not got enough time in a day to care about food hygiene. Fuck that. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the old uh, bowl straight ahead approach. I like it. I like it. It's half work for me. Anyway, uh, what about the poll stock? Who? How did we do right. last week? Uh, I know that some of these polls are particularly cursed because <laughs> yeah. that's, been, that's been the trend as of late. Right, and these polls, because we did our episode uh, kind of late in the week last week, they're still up. You could vote on them at Watery Desho. In addition to voting on the current ones for episode fifteen, that will be up on our Twitter momentarily uh, as we go. But poll one is Shad's just plain cursed. Now, yes. Yes. Move on. Move on. We're done. It, it's it, like there's no. I don't care what people put at this point. The answer is yes. I mean, I wrote that poll thinking, my God, can this possibly get any worse? Uh, and then it turned out, you know, like I was like, oh, really, really, you know, fucking cue ball. I don't see about that. Don't tempt me, says oh. the higher power. Well, my um, decorator almost got killed by an electrical shortage. My house has almost burned down due to fuses blowing. I went a day without hot water. Uh, the feature wallpaper I have in my living room turned out to be complete shit. And honestly, at this point, you know, while this particular stream's going on, I'm probably going to be attacked by fucking ninjas or some shit. Thorkel? Thorkel the spider returns? <laughs> well, I actually saw a giant spider in my room. It had eight legs, though, so it wasn't Thorkel. Oh, well, this is this Ragnar. <laughs> We're renaming them after. Well, I didn't, ki- well, well, I didn't kill him. So no. <laughs> he, he still lives. Uh, yeah, he didn't get ambushed. Well, so your decorator almost got killed. Holy yes. shit! Do you want? Do you want to know how that happened? Yes. Uh, shout, shouts, by the way, to the guy who rewired my plug sockets. Uh, because you are almost a murderer because of your incompetence. Nice one, dipshit. Uh, basically. Uh, the feature wall had a single double plug socket or electrical outlet if you're American and, you know, mm-hmm. inferior to us yeah, yeah, proper English-speaking people. Uh, so obviously, you know, in putting these plug sockets in, he had to, of course, rewire them. He left one of the terminals disconnected. So you've got a loose wire. Now, here's the thing, right? Decorate is like, you know, obviously sh- shaping up the wallpaper, cutting a little hole in to fit the socket around, pulls it down, puts it over, I'm, by the way, just upstairs, sat where I am now. This is only yesterday, minding my own business, watching something on YouTube or writing up the Tokyo Godfather scripts for you. And all I hear is, well, let's put it this way. I mean, Samuel Jackson, he yells a good <laughs> motherfucker. But I think my decorator could have given him the room for his money. So I come running downstairs thinking, what the hell's happened? He said he got an electric shock and he was still shaking from it. So... Not being, you know, a physicist, really, so to speak, but otherwise understanding that getting electrocuted is, you know, bad shit. I can obviously imagine that, you know, just with a little change in the variables, well, I'd have been there probably, you know, performing CPR on him, which, frankly, I am am trained to do. Uh, So, yeah, uh, he almost died as a result of that. 
Nice one. Thanks, Mr. Electrician, who previously did those plug sockets and decided not to rewire them properly. You are about as useless as a sandpaper condom. Boy. <sighs> I told you I was cursed, so this is why this poll is ultimately irrelevant. If you if you pick no, you are objectively wrong. Like, we at Warridesha, like, are normally very open to the opinions of others here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we always want to hear different viewpoints on, like, you know, heavy topics or ones that are worth debating in great exhaustive detail. But insofar as me being cursed, there is only one correct answer, and y'all can go to hell if you think otherwise. Because I'm going to be there first, by the way. What happened to the wallpaper on your feature wall? I thought you oh, liked uh, it. I picked a set originally that when he started applying it on Friday, uh, the actual, like, when he was joining it together, because it was a pattern, so it had to be matched at specific points, uh, the actual pattern on it started wiping off as he was, like, running this, like, wallpaper comb down it. This, by the way, was not cheap wallpaper. This was, like, from B&Q, which I don't know what the equivalent is in America. We'll call it home store shit, you know. The only difference being that you can probably buy buckshot in there and you can't at B&Q. <laughs> right. Um... So I had to get replacements for that on Saturday, which necessitated like a two-hour round trip to a and q store to go do that, along with buying a load of other shit. Uh, so that was fun. Um, and then the new feature wallpaper had its own problems as well, but thankfully it's all come together quite nicely in the end. Oh, and I also had to rewire my fuse box as well, which was a brick-shitting moment, so that was fun. Do we need to have a spin-off podcast of just like, what's been up with you this week? And we just talk about like our did, did, just the, you know bullshit. Just Shadster stories. <laughs> yes. You know? uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh my god, like my life recently has just been a complete and unmitigated clusterfuck. Oh, I'm sorry. But hey, it's fine though. I'm here to talk about, you know, the clusterfuck lives of our Viking fellows. Right. You were having a uh, not so great time as it turns out. Well, I know that one of them in episode sixteen is gonna have a Really, really shitty new year, let's put it that way. So, uh, a lot of times after bad things happen in the world, uh, you know, people that do entertainment, be it um, radio, podcasts, whatever, will, at the front of their episode, they'll be like, you know, these bad things have happened, and it really sucks, uh, but we feel like, for our audience's sake, like we want to keep going and bring some joy and kind of like some relief from the troubles. And it's funny, like I feel that uh, we get as much of that from actually putting the content out as our audience might do. Hey, I said previously, you know, like this show keeps me sane. And, mm-hmm. you know, the immediate answer, I'm sure a lot of our audience members will be like, <laughs> sane? <laughs> <laughs> you lost that label a long time ago, Shads, along with your hair. I don't know which came first, and maybe it's correlated. Who can say? <laughs> anyway, I, I, also, I also won many simoleons at work today, so that makes me happy. That, like, makes up for it in spades, because this could actually now be used to finance more decorating. So thank you very much, Fate, Karma, whatever, you know, I have to, you know, give gratitude for for winning, you know, 140 Great British Pounds, you know, the Queen's Currency. Much appreciated. Facebook would read a book about your life. I wouldn't write that book, and you no one should read it. <laughs> it's a it's a cavalcade of soap opera drama and general stupidity, bullshit, and nonsense that I wouldn't wish on anyone else. 
with the occasional with the occasional quip and good moment. I'm not actually that bitter. I will stress, by the way, I take a lot more things in good humor than I used to. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't write it. You certainly shouldn't fucking read it. Buy my actual book, which is out there on Amazon, <laughs> which I won't bother talking to you about because it's bad. But just buy that anyway. All right. I'm gonna try to. So we have polls. to. We have to get back to the polls. This is we... why we shouldn't talk about my life ever. No, it's okay. Just... It's all right because. Uh, well, I was gonna say about this poll was that we are we are getting into what some may consider a cardinal sin of polls that uh, I I love, and that is poll-based continuity. Polls <laughs> referring to other polls that refer to other polls. When, and you don't when know... You get your poll, when you cross your polls. <laughs> you, you just simply don't when know. Two, when, two, when two polls cross. If, unless you've been in on the first, you don't understand the references and that sort of stuff, you know, just makes me happy. So, is Shad's just plain cursed refers to a poll from the previous week. Uh, is Shadon cursed as a as a pollster? Because polls that you often feel very strongly about that you create, the audience tends to disagree with. And the results for this cursed poll uh, makes Shad a dull boy, got 71% to all work and no place, 29. Mm-hmm. Um, poll two. The, sh- the Shadning. The sh- <laughs> poll two. Which Mancunian team would Askeladd support? <laughs> this is another stupid inside joke. Uh, I love it when I read these because it makes me remember the silliness of the show last week. <laughs> uh, Man City walks away with 54%. And again, Askeladd would back the front runner. And so that checks out to me. Um, poll three. Why do you think Canute chose not to speak up at the slaughter of the Marcian villagers? And 68%, uh, this is a, the landslide winner of the three choices, uh, said that it would make no difference, that he didn't speak up because he knew what was uh, threatening to the, the, out, the outcome that was threatened by Askeladd was the one that was definitely going to happen. He couldn't Whether stop he spoke, yeah, wouldn't As opposed to the alternative, which would have been, he might be able to stop it if he spoke up, but he just couldn't bring himself to do it. Yeah. So, poll four. What is God doing to Anne in this episode? And, uh, oh, by the way, I actually, so I, I watched uh, the OP, like, with a, like, I really paid attention to it this time. And, you know, Anne is in there with the this green sort of starry sky that we mm-hmm. wouldn't have known. And you know what? <clears throat> Unpopular opinion. Or, or maybe a uh, doc changes his mind and walks back. So I hammered two weeks ago, this new OP, like, crushed it. Because, not the visuals, but the music. I've, I like the song now. <laughs> I, I've gone, I've gone uh, rogue. I've, I've made a 180, and I like the song. It, it still, to me, sounds like I'm listening to elevator music, to be quiet. It has just that kind of effect on me. Like, this is why I have to put up with to get to the destination I want to get to. Mm-hmm. It's cool. the catchiness of the chorus, I think. Uh, but but I listen. I don't disagree that it sounds like a like a like a Mountain Dew commercial. It ain't song. no Macanjo. Let's put no, it that way. Not at it all. No. It ain't it ain't it ain't no you know slow build up to like you know uh, death screaming. Yeah, it lacks the power of that first opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it lacks the raw edge show. of it. Yeah, like you know, it's so edgy you could literally shave with it. <laughs> if, I, if I listen to that song in the bathroom, I'd come out clean shaven. There'd be none of this left. 
I, I also like both of the the endings and uh I definitely miss like hearing the just like a broken storm. <laughs> like uh the the new one is good, but you know, it just things take a while to grow on me. Hey, I think. It definitely it definitely ain't no cold sour of the deepers, that's for sure. No, no, what, what, different. what what is, is though? What, what is, is indeed. What is the penguin drum ED? That is one of the best CDs of all time. It's fucking incredible. Anyway, uh, that's discussion for a different day. So here's so, the uh, result uh, for this poll. What What is God doing to Anne? Uh, Nietzsche had it right. Uh, gets nearly 80% of the vote. And, of course, you're talking about uh, his passage from the gay science called The Death of God. So that implying there is no God, God ain't doing nothing to Anne. And uh, tw- mm-hmm. 21% said saving her. Th- this is not often do we have a split poll uh, but one of the choices is zero percent. Punishing her got zero percent. Nobody, nobody thinks that uh, that God is punishing Anne here. Um, fair enough, then. Fair enough. I mean, I would not. I mean, I'll just throw it out there right now that while I, of course, you know, I treat Sunday school and church as just an opportunity for free bread and booze. Like I wouldn't preclude or disagree or like you know shoot down one's opinion if they felt strongly enough that God was indeed punishing her. Because that, as it turns out, is the ambiguity one must exercise when they're writing about the Christian God in any kind of fiction. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like to me like a kind of unwritten rule. Um, well, unless you're doing some, you know, fate shit. Like, you know, you're being tired and you don't give a damn. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but, you know, for something like Vinland Saga, again, to have that kind of authenticity, you don't suddenly want, like, the literal hand of God coming down and like, you know, plucking, <laughs> plucking the ring off Anne's finger. Say like, well, taking this away from you, you've been a bad girl. What is the sign taped to the back of this corpse? God was here. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, if you if that's your, your opinion, but you, you know, I would also again just like say, hey, that's fair enough. That's a reasonable reading. I mean, like a lot of stuff in fiction, like we also bring our own biases and our own lenses to it, uh, and that can even include religion. Like if you're deeply religious, then you may find certain material offensive, or you may find some of it more in line with your own belief systems and the way you view the world. That's just how it be. Uh, me, I say, the the only baggage I bring with me is just the fact that I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like, hey, you know what? Like, as someone who is an atheist. I actually think this could very well support my argument because God clearly ain't doing no, you know, backseat driving here for anyone. Yeah. The only thing he's doing is sat up in heaven just with a with a bowl of popcorn on. Yeah. Not on. Surfing on, on the stars on, on another on, universe. On. <laughs> ah, uh, Facebook. Uh oh, I was just pointing something out that I think they should have definitely put in the show if they had the chance to do so. Uh, which is I'll read it here. And gets found. Ooh. And they think she's a noble because of the ring she's wearing. So that's a big deal in my opinion. The ambiguous ending that, you know, she got where she just kind of wandered off into the wilderness, as it were. I mean Maybe that'll I happen kind of, later. You know what I mean? I They'll still show think it. she's probably a one shot character from Quiet Honest, because I think that's kind of the purpose that her and that episode served, which as I mentioned, was to show Farfin, Canoe, and Ascalad's actions on mm-hmm inaction as it were through the lens of your regular person uh and that is very much a regular you know average kind of person with ideas beyond that of course but nonetheless that's how it, it is passed just the villager next door pretty much yes pretty much 
that's uh, it for the polls. Uh, that's it for look, polls. look for episode 15 polls on our Twitter at Watery Dish Show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for taking part in that. Uh, we'll now crack on with the plot summary, and it's going to be me leading on this one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, after Yule, uh, we open with what is basically Vinland Saga's reinterpretation of Jabba the Hutt's palace, because by God, does King Serwin look like shit. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, his, uh, but, his back has seen better days. Yeah, he's completely covered in cuts and scars, and I... I'm not going to elaborate on this too much as a big talking point, but I did speculate previously that Sewin, or however you pronounce his name, probably was like a pretty, you know, renowned warrior, like when he was much younger, uh, like all of the kings tend to want to be. And, well, all those wounds are evidence of that, but man, he looks like he's been out in the sun too long at this point. Uh, and he's, of course, you know, being fed uh, meat by a serving girl. That will be important later, as it turns out, because uh, we'll learn some more of Canute's backstory, which is actually relevant to that. Uh, and, you know, for uh, uh, Floki is there, like, you know, doing his usual shit, Floki gonna Floki. And he's, uh, he's like, you know, you must feel really upset about Canute going missing in the wilderness. And I think, like, you know, King's saying, like, he might as well have just been told that, you know, oh, I'm very, I'm terribly sorry, but, you know, uh, your favorite, like, you know, bronze coin? It's gone missing. You know, you've, you've lost this, like, little keepsake of yours. Like, something you don't really truly care about. Uh, it's a shame, you know, you lost this thing you were really, really into. Oh, no. Oh, dear. It'd be like if I just pull something off my desk here. This is a little nodding cat thing I bought at Comic Con once that I keep as kind of a mental of going there. Mm-hmm. Now, if I lost this, I'd be a little, you know, like, oh, that's a shame. It wouldn't break my heart, though. I think that this is basically Canute, as seen by King Sewin. Not, well, not a nodding cat, of course, but rather that kind of saying, you know, like, I have some sentimental value, a tiny little shred of it, but yeah, fuck it. Who cares? Anyway, uh, we, of course, have the OP, and then we come back to find everyone's favorite, you know, uh, legendary war hero and, you know, uh, not quite five-finger discount anymore for Kel. He's enjoying the snows of winter, uh, at which point someone comes out of the uh, the food hall that he's outside of um, and says to him, hey, do you want, you know, roast or grilled pork? And which is a dumb question because four kill, of course, want both. I mean, have you seen the guy? He's like tall and weighs 400 pounds of solid muscle. Like, ask him if he wants a choice in what particular meat he wants is daft. If you took four kill to a Korean barbecue... You know, like where you throw the raw meat on the stuff in the, you know, the grill in the center to get it just right. He wouldn't even bother with that. He'd just take the tray and he'd be like, <sighs> "I just love that." Like in this scene, he's like lamenting to the skies about like such lofty and serious matters, and then someone comes to ask him whether he wants beef or pork, and without missing a beat, he's like, he's, "He's like, he's described as a child <laughs> later on." And honestly, that is that. Now you phrase it like that, you're right. Because it's like, you know, dinner's ready, honey. <laughs> It's so true. Um, so he and his colleague are discussing in this food hall where they appear to have eaten their way through pretty much everything. <laughs> the whole town. Like, I mean, I mean, I joked on Twitter that, you know, Farkel would treat all you can eat as just a light snack, and I think that's <laughs> true. I mean, can you imagine, like, Farkel going to, I don't know, a, a White Castle or something? There'd be nothing left in there except for the salad bar. Indeed. Like, Fort Kell ain't touching the no salad. salad. He's not touching the salad. <laughs> of course he isn't. Uh, so, you know, he's also, you know, working his way through the booze, but he's lamenting the end of the war coming up. 
uh, because that's where he lives. He lives in war. He's got, you know, the Mel Gear Solid problem of what do soldiers do when they there is no war? Like, because Forkel, you know, he's living up every second of this. He's enjoying the beer. He's enjoying the food. Probably enjoying the women. I don't know. Maybe. I thought, um, <clears throat> I thought Metal Gear told us the soldier's problem was being dummy thick. And that you couldn't sneak somewhere because it, of the ass hearing, claps. Hearing you say that <laughs> phrase... It, I, I feel like face. I feel like a whole just sort of reality <laughs> hearing you say that. I'm not even gonna say. It. I can't bring myself to say it. Mm. Um, okay, let's move up. Let's move away from that. Um, so yeah, um, God bless him. For Forkel is a uh, you know he's obviously a, bit, a little bit concerned about the war coming to an end and like the fact mm-hmm. that they've lost Canoe and how they could have used him for their own ends, um, but. Well, it can't be helped, so he's just going to lean back and just enjoy the rest of his beer, booze, and, you know, all the other good stuff, because, well, what else can he do? Anyway, we cut now to our, you know, regularly scheduled pirate listening moment, where we've got... Um, <laughs> uh, can I say got... one quick thing about okay. Thorkel before we... Um, this scene was like... Uh... Oh, you know, I'm sorry, that comes later, so I'll just bring it up later when you get to that moment. I'm sorry, apologies. No worries. So, uh, Askeladd, uh, Bjorn, and the Ear, who we mentioned maybe once, twice at most, because, well, he's a very nominatively deterministic kind of main guy. <laughs> yeah. like, he serves one function in, in the show. And to assume he has a character or a personality beyond that, like, he's the Ear, he listens. Cool. Maybe he'll start a helpline someday, I don't know. <laughs> the Fraser Crane of, yeah. of this episode, of, of this yeah. show. Always Something listening. like that. So anyway, uh, Canute, uh, the priest guy, and Ragnar are praying before a makeshift Christian cross, uh, with Thorfinn watching from the back, you know, uh, polishing his father's dagger. And the priest is the one, of course, leading the prayer, but his prayer kind of, like, he starts like this, like, standard, you know, our father, our in heaven, that kind of thing. Mm. But then notice gestures as the prayer goes on, and he starts going off script. Mm. Like, his hands fall away to his knees like this, he starts saying, like, how can you allow this to go on, our Father in heaven? Like, you know, this this awful people doing these awful things. You've given us nothing. You've left us weak and useless. Um, which, from my perspective as an atheist, as someone who doesn't believe in God, fair question. Mm-hmm. I mean, as presented, you know, like, like I said before, even if God is trying to help them in certain ways, such as with Anne, the problem with moving in mysterious ways is that no one can attribute anything to you, genuinely. Mm-hmm. It's a bit difficult for that to happen. Canute, uh, mm-hmm. though, has a different perspective, which is, shut up, you're wrong. You know, how dare you question, yeah, you question know, your faith as a Christian? Uh, which, incidentally, by this moment of Canute standing up and yelling at him is probably one of the few moments we know of uh, where he's, like, really, really stepped up and let loose a little bit, rather than being the very timid, introverted person we've seen thus far. This whole episode uh, was yeah. a great coming-out party for him. He's, you know, we we get to see Canute has more layers to him, like both in terms of, like the fact that he can step up and like you know give someone a real good finger point and a real good reading of the riot acts while he's at it. But he also has a softer side, which we'll cover later on. I mean, we've known he has a softer side, but there's certain <coughs> shades and dimensions to that that we were not previously aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's really interesting about this thing is that Canute makes a comparison between 
and this is going to be key for one of the talking points I will bring up later, uh, the word father, as in the holy deity, right, and father, as in one's, you know, parent, be it, you know, biological or otherwise, which pay, pay attention stacks, that'll be relevant soon enough. Uh, you know, a father always loves all of his children. So Canute's assertion in this line here, uh, which I won't elaborate too much on right now because I'm going to say it for later, is that he's referring to God. God loves all of his children. Even if his children, you know, are, well, they're breaking curfew, they're being a bit rebellious, doing drugs, be the old pillaging, be the old plundering, you know, going invading <laughs> other countries, all the things that, you know, rowdy kids get up to. But after all, think of it this way, though. What other interpretation of father do you think he might also be referring to? Bearing in mind, we were, of course, reminded of his father's presence in the show, the very start mm-hmm. of the episode. Right. Just saying. Right. Uh, so, uh, Farkel, we go back to him now, back to the beer hall where he's, you know, probably eaten like the last remaining cow with his bare hands. <laughs> yes. I mean, honestly, I'm literally, like, I can imagine for like, he asked for a keg earlier, by the way. I just feel like I should mention. And all I can imagine is just him drinking it with one hand out of the keg in totally. one go. I mean, <laughs> I-, I would not want a drinking contest with Farkel. I would not want a drinking contest with Farkel, even if I was twice my current height and twice the weight. And you know, it just would. You just wouldn't win. You wouldn't. He would drink a bottle of Jägermeister in one go and compare it to like drinking a can of Diet Coke. Oh yeah, it'd be nothing to that man. Um, Only a. But thing. anyway, he receives a message. Oh, ooh, 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 ooh. What about this- what if Thorkel and Bjorn had a drinking contest? This is, is going to be an official poll. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I can answer that quite yet, to be honest. I'm going to need some time to think on. I think Forkel would still win, actually, but I think it would be close. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Forkel has received a message that uh, Canute and his, and Asgard's forces have been sighted. Uh, it's not initially confirmed as such, but they kind of put two and two together. So uh, Forkel's like, "Well, let's get a let's get a move on." Uh, he completely and utterly ruins the uh, the food hall staff member's day by saying, oh yeah, we'd like a packed lunch. Again, like he's going out on a school trip, like he's going to the fucking zoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that red has to me. <laughs> this is why I love Farkel so much, because he has a certain childishness to his mannerisms that make him really endearing. Like he doesn't quite grasp the gravity of the things that he's either asking or doing. I mean, for someone as strong as him who probably gets his way in everything that he ever wants to do, because that's the world that he lives in, no surprise there that it would, you know, it doesn't seem unreasonable to go, oh yeah, could I have 500 packed lunches? For five weeks. <laughs> for, yeah, five, for five days it was. You oh, five, five days? Oh, okay. Five days, yeah. It, it's insane. And obviously, you know, a little bit of nice comedy there, um, where the staff members just look like, oh my god. God, no. But we can't. How do you refuse it? How do you refuse a man like that who's built like a brick shit house? You probably don't. Uh, mm. Incidentally, by the way, I think it was mentioned earlier in our chat, and I'm just going to scroll up to find it. They I were so glad. They were so glad he was going to leave until he asked for the food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was mentioned in our chat earlier by, I think it might have been. I apologize if I got mixed up. I can't unfortunately scroll the window up for some stupid reason. Uh, that Anne was cited again in. Mm episode and i think that this is where we see her as well like while just appearing getting some soup uh while the uh conversation happens between farkel and the kitchen staff interesting 
I did not uh, uh, catch that. I didn't catch it either until I literally just saw it just a second because I'm having the episode replay as well. Help me make sure I don't get things out of order. Uh, but anyway, anyway, so what happens next is it's it's very rare. It's a very rare thing for me to watch an anime where I can say in a way that I don't feel negative about, where it is literally taking the piss. <laughs> because that's what's happening. It we have... Forever. We have... No, no, I mean, as in, we have Bjorn, Askeladd, and the Ear just, you know, they just stand out in the open, <laughs> taking a piss. And, like, the Ear has, like, heard the sound of the approaching... of, of Parkell's approaching forces. Uh, Bjorn violates, you know, Bathory Mesket by looking to the left while discussing this. So, like, come on, man. I know there aren't any rhinos in this era, but you've got to at least respect the etiquette, man. There's unwritten rules about this shit. You should be, like, silent monks <laughs> just staring straight ahead. Um, so they go, of course, to the local camp to say, right, you got to finish up these sleds so we can deliver all the ki- all the presents to all the good boys and girls. Go- oh, wait, no, that's not Nash. right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, Askeladd, I did say before, had looked like Santa, so maybe he's just going to fulfill that role again. But then again, given his track record, he seems to be more interested in delivering the Christmas coal that is, you know, a patricide to, you know, all the kids in, in the <sighs> land, so. You get patricide. Welcome mm-hmm. to homelessness. And I've Ooh. got an orphanhood for you and for you mm-hmm. and for you. Yep. And you've got, a position on my, you've got a position on my ship as, like, you know, my new assassin <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, key component of Operation Meat Shield. How does that feel? <laughs> exactly. Our, our previous uh, boy assassin has gotten too old. He's grown up. So mm. we need a new one. Indeed, he's grown up so much that um, after a quick scene of um, Askeladd's men getting ready for the coming battle, including a comment that his luck appears to be running out because his plan's now been disrupted, uh, we cut to uh, Farkel having, you know, murdered a little a wee little wabbit. It's been wabbit season, and he's, you know, got one. <laughs> Unfortunate. But hey, at least, we know, at least we now know who the killer in Beastars is anyway, so that's all solved. <laughs> glad that's, I'm glad that's been cleared up. Uh, but anyway, he's passing by uh, Ragnar and Canute's lodge, and Ragnar just pops down and says, hey, that's a nice-looking rabbit. Why don't you give it to me so I can cook it? And Thorfinn, you know, is someone who's been a loner through much of his adult life, or even his life in general since, you know, his dad died. Uh, well, he says, you know, you know what you can eat? My dust. Go fuck yourself. I'm off. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Uh, but Ragnar says, no, look, right, look, I've got some vegetables here. We'll make something decent out of it. And so he comes in and we see Canoe, uh, you know, ponytail back, hair down the side, full, full, you know, cooking mode. Like, and well, may I be pleased to announce that, you know, welcome to the Ragnar and Canoe cooking hour. Ooh. We're going to be showing you how to create all the best Viking meals starting Ooh. with... Ragnar's rabbit stew. Ah. So, ooh, indeed. So, you know, we get a nice little preparation scene of this little meal here. And if you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, why am I seeing this framing of Thorfinn getting a meal here that he's reluctant to initially eat? Um, and, you know, how it all seems very homely and very comfortable. Why is this familiar to me? Because it's happened a couple of times, of course, in the uh, show's run thus far, not least of which being with that woman I mentioned mm-hmm. who... When he wasn't quite the age he is now, but he helps, you know, sack a village. Like, you know, she took care of him, put a meal out for him. And he initially didn't want to eat either. Uh, but, of course, he tastes the rabbit broth that they have, the rabbit stew. And it's really nice. So he's like, rrr, rrr, rrr. I mean, 
we could read between the lines here and guess that whatever Thorfinn has ever done to like you know prepare food, it's only ever been strictly in the basis of just well for survival. Mm-hmm. At best, he's probably cooked it not for its taste, but just to make sure. It, well, he doesn't you know die from it. Mm-hmm. Although I also wouldn't be surprised if on occasion he's probably it just completely raw because well that's the kind of kid he is. Uh, but anyway, anyway. Uh, this is where we get to learn a bit more of Canute's backstory, including how he once tried, like, his, this cooking thing is his hobby. It's not something he normally otherwise does. As the Thorfinn just notes, like, the royals only ever eat. They don't really do anything for themselves. And certainly, as we saw before in King Sewin's case, again, this is why this scene exists on multiple reasons. Uh, you know, he was being fed by that serving guild, but he certainly didn't do any of it himself. Um, but Canute relates a tale about how he tried to cook cod for his father when he was young. And his father, well, in the very best Gordon Ramsay tradition, just goes, no! And just <laughs> flying. What are you? You're an idiot sandwich, boy! Oh, I felt so bad for little Canute. What a mm-hmm. what a dick his father is. Yeah. No, Feowulf's right. Like, you know, he Samin was mad because he had already ordered an Uber driver to, like, you know, a KFC or a Sonic. I don't know what, you know, goes good you know, from America these days. Uh, but here he is, like, have some cod, Dad. Oh, no. Like, And this scene is very, very enlightening. Like, I think that Ragnar also makes a point of saying, don't worry, you know, you'll be able to do it again. He just, you know, was tired of something like that or was distracted. Like, he makes an excuse for King Sewin when we know what the reality is. I think he's just trying to, like, protect, like, poor Canute. Well, you know what I mean? Well, like, like what? that... One day, like, it'll be fine. Like, you, you still have a chance to, like, win your father over. You know what I mean? Like, he was just mm-hmm. busy. Next time, we'll make him some poultry. Incidentally, I knew this, speaking of Theowulf and what you were saying, I knew a person in real life who, like, so I used to, um, like, tabletop role play with some friends when I was in college pretty regularly. And uh, we had helped um one of the friends move and uh his wife was cooking us dinner and like she cooked this incredible like country fried steak and like mashed potatoes and vegetables and like a full deal and it was like mushrooms on top and gravy it was so good and like mm. her husband was like mm, i just want some mcdonald's <laughs> what the fuck dude like your wife is cooking this and he's just like sort of pouty because and then eventually got McDonald's from some like, what what are you doing? Like, oh my gosh. Um especially for a you know, college student like myself who didn't really receive cooked meals, uh cooked meals at home very often. Uh every time someone crazy. Cooks, every time someone cooks me, I feel like I, I, I'm just like on my fucking hands and knees in thanks for it. Mm-hmm. It's such a rare treat that I love it every time it happens. Yeah. Uh yeah. and I I mean I'm I'm very like, you know, that kind of like I don't like, you know, to rely on other people anyway if I can help it. Mm-hmm. And I oh I'm don't feel like I deserve like that kind of stuff. But like even come on, like your wife's cooking you a meal and all your wife's like, can you not read the optics of how that would present? Like, oh I'm sorry, I don't want your cooking. I want like, you know, the D tier fast food chain food. Chicken nuggets. Please. The stuff, the stuff made out of mystery meat, and you know whatever like lard gets thrown in the you know, thing uh, to make French yeah. fries with. I felt so bad Fuck for poor Fuck Michelle. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yes, thank you. I, I was. If you're about to say for him, I no, like, no, no, no. 
I've got no sympathy for that no. idiot. Anyway, anyway, anyway. We remain friends, but I just was like, and still, still when I think of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. Jesus Christ. All right. So uh, moving on from that kind of, uh, you know, idiocy, let's move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a messenger arrives and, you know, Farfin almost gives him like, you know, a close shave. <laughs> Loved that moment. Loved that yeah. moment. Like, um, I will, I'll say more about it later. Uh, so Ragnar is summoned out to go, you know, join Bal. Uh, to go find Ascalad, I believe, to go speak to him. Because he says, like, what the hell's going on with this? Like, he's trying to see between the lines a tiny little bit here that something's a bit a bit off. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we why are we going, you know, uh, all around the houses on this? Why not just, you know, go away from the fight? Uh, so he's led out into the woods uh, where it's completely snowed over. It's starting to, I believe, uh, sunset's coming down. Uh, it's been noted, by the way, by one of our chat, uh, let's go, go, Summit Robot, uh, that the color, about the color schemes here, like, you know, sunsetting. And there's some really, really nice framing with um, the trees and such as well, separating uh, Ragnar from Askeladd's men as a kind of visual shorthand for, well, what do you reckon, Doc, is the Askeladd classic? What's what's a classic Askeladd? So it's a pull a classic Askeladd. Uh, to look sour? That's one of them. But for me, like, you know, to pull a classic Askeladd, or to pull an Askeladd, to murder someone's father with an ambush. Yeah, okay, no, no, I see. I see what you're no doing. Way. Yeah. Yeah, because... <laughs> For sure. Again, cycles and parallels, shit's repeating itself. Uh, Ragnar, you know, he clocks, he, knows. On, he clocks on that the battle sounds are coming from a direction that they're not walking in, so they're getting quieter or staying the same volume. And at the point he realizes that, he draws a sword, but unfortunately, you know, he gets, well, stakes. Whoops. <laughs> That's a bit unfortunate. Uh, what are those, like, and... traps doing in the snow? Did they set all that shit up just for Ragnar? Or were they, like, Ask there? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, right, here's how I see it, right? Askeladd probably has one guy in his entire, like, force who's, like, the trap guy. And he's always constantly <laughs> like, look, Askeladd, I just want to build some traps. Why won't you let me build the traps, Askeladd? God, I, this is all I'm here for. And Askeladd's like, are we really having this conversation? Again. Again. And so, like, you know, he's had this, he's probably had it cut more times than four has asked the duels. And so this time around, like, Askeladd's like, you know, his men together, and he's gathering him for the ambush, right? All right, you, you're going to hide in the snow. You're, you're going to be hide, hide behind the trees. And the tribe's, Askeladd! Askeladd! <laughs> Come on, man. And he's just like, now? <laughs> and he's just like, all right, look, I'm so sick of your shit. Go build your trap and use it. Which now makes me think that I wish there had been a moment where, like, when, like, after Ragnar had been stabbed, this guy just leaps out of this incredibly complicated like hatch built into a tree. He's like, aha, have at you! And oh, it's over. Oh. I'll I'll be going now. Bye. <laughs> uh but yeah, unfortunately, uh, Ragnar has by uh the stabbing, and he's like, I need to speak to Askeladd urgently, like, because well, hey, you know, what a man's guy. on a mission. Yeah. Death's just something death's just to, like, you know, a, a mild inconvenience towards getting this message across. And it turns out indeed Askeladd is there. Um, so they have a very long conversation while uh, Ragnar is bleeding out that basically boils down to this. Ragnar knows that 
King Sewin has sent his son off just to basically be a lamb to the slaughter. Because, of course, Canute is not the only heir to the throne. There is Harold, who we've seen mentioned before, and we actually see visually depicted in what is Ragnar's uh, explanation of the scenario. And speaking, you know, comparatively here, like, if I had to put money on who looked more like a warrior than Harold with easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and looks are a big deal, you know, for, like, royalty and, you know, kingdoms and uh, monarchs in this kind of time. So there is that. Uh, he basically points out that there are now two factions vying for, you know, to put someone on the throne, to support someone. Some of them support Canute and some of them support Harold. Uh, this, by the way, is overlaid with the visual metaphor of um, Sewin's like, cuff, cup run of empty of him pouring what is basically wine, i.e. blood, uh, you know, the last drop can out, like when uh, Ragnar says, oh, he sent, you know, Canute to die. Uh, and as this is happening, Asclad has a very, like, plain look on him that, to me, read as, oh, oh shit. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I might be in over my head he here. He is fucked. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, bear in mind, Asclad's original plan with Canute was to deliver him back to the king safely in order to, you know, curry favour with the royals, even if that was ultimately then just to work against the Danes in general by serving as, like, an informant or a double agent for the Welsh. But he's returning the prince to the king, the prince in question being the one that the king decided he would treat like a pawn on a chessboard. You know, and I'm talking about the first one to go as well. Whoops. This has not quite worked out for him, has it? Because now his men are lost in foreign territory in the dead of winter with barely any supplies. They've got, you know, beer guzzling, pork eating, you know, murder machine for Kel bearing down on. And the people they would have wise delivered Canute to at the end of this incredibly long and arduous escort quest, well, their reward for them is going to be death. You know, plain old death. Yeah. Kill a lot of them. Yep. Nice one, Asgard. This gamble did great, not work great, out. Great plan. <laughs> Fantastic! I mean, you know, if only he'd face-planted during that scene as well, it would have fit. <laughs> so what was the original indicator? Um, gosh, was it two weeks ago? When mm -hmm. they started to say Asclad's luck had run out? Mm, might have been. Uh, it's around that time. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I think so, it's when the snow started coming, right? That would, that would be right. Yes, you're correct. So Ragnar falls to the ground after bleeding out a little and he makes a final plea to Askeladd. I want to see the prince one more time to say goodbye. And Askeladd's... He does his best Askeladd-y pathetic face and just says no. Yeah? Pathetic. So, and that closes out the episode pretty much as Ragnar sees, like, young Canute, like, in a sunlit fa uh, farmland again uh, with the idea of them cooking poultry together. Um, otherwise, yep. That's it. Ragnar is dead. Yeah. Uh, but don't worry, we'll see him again when he appears in Alien Nation. So we're all good. When he appears where? In Alien Nation. Because <laughs> of the Coneheads. Yeah. Mm. Oh boy. Sorry to, sorry to ruin that tender moment for <laughs> You really did. You so did. It is, it is my want and mine. And... Uh, but yeah, that's after Yule. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean... I'm going to lead off very quickly with just a very quick talking point while I pour this drink, just to clarify some comments I've made in previous episodes about how I feel about the pacing of the show. So here's the thing, right? I am very much of two minds about some of the late, the recent episodes that we've had, but I must also again stress 
that we are operating here on a week by week basis of examining mm-hmm. this show and things can change. I mean, when we covered Given recently, you and I had very, very visceral reactions to uh, the Yuki suicide stuff yeah. because of how thinly it was depicted. And then it got a little bit more fleshed out as time went by, and so that kind of reaction we had was diminished somewhat. Not entirely, mind you, but no. that's the point basically I'm making here is that I can start... I see this build-up now coming about, and obviously with Ragnar's death, like things are really going to kick into high gear here. I still have some feeling that the stuff that we've got up to this point could have been tightened a little bit. And part of me also thinks from what I've read from other people's experiences that maybe this would be best if it was actually bingeable. Like if you could say do four episodes at a time, Mm. I can imagine Mm -hmm. this would probably read a lot better because you would keep the pace of events going rather than waiting week on week. I've been saying that for a couple of months Mm. that, uh, that that was the case. And that when we were doing given, you know, I was like, this is exactly the right dose of given. Like, mm-hmm. they, episodically, they deliver what I want them to deliver. And I'm satisfied and can wait. But, uh, but yeah, with Vinland, um, to get everything I need from it, I feel like, especially from, like, episodes, like, 9 to 13, <laughs> you'd want to, like, mm. just down all of them at once. Exactly. You'd, you'd want to drink them all in the same way. Basically, right. um, so I'll say again, just as a reminder here, like I, my opinion is only merely my own. It is not necessarily the truth about the show, and you're more than welcome to. Do, and I'm glad people have done. That, I must say as well, uh, but I always try at least to offer some caveat, which is that, well, that, and you know, we're dealing with an evolving situation here as episodes go along. I mean, I'm actually fairly confident that if my memory serves me, which is often not really, uh, that I had probably some similar feelings about banana fish, at least at one point. And if there's anything that you can say about banana fish is that it wasn't, you know, you can't say it wasn't eventful. No, so, it, it yeah. rocked. <laughs> it was yeah, great. Exactly. Yeah, there was plenty going on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. just take anything I say about the pacing of this show, or indeed anything else, I suppose, with the pinch of salt that it needs. Well, it's also a criticism, and you're not saying like the show is bad. Oh fuck this. no! This is the show is great. The show like, is and, yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of good stuff in this episode as well, which I really appreciate. Which, of course, I'm no doubt we will cover in just a moment. Uh, but anyway, I just want to lead off with that while I pour myself a nice, refreshing glass of the, uh, you know, whatever. I'm not seeking advertising books anymore. I'm afraid. I know that Coca-Cola mm-hmm. couldn't give two shits about me. Damn you. Over to you, Doc. Uh, oh, did what? we want to do our uh, patron questions first? Oh, of course, yes. Um, you know what's sad? You know, I said it before about my memory. It clearly failed. Because we're just doing a change to our format going forward, folks, both this and, well, the Kabuchiko Sherlock as well, and anything else we cover on, on live stream, which is that we're going to do patron questions before we do talking points. Mainly because I've noticed recently that when we've done patron questions, we've often already covered them in our talking points, and I'd rather that we do it the other way around, just that way, you know, people don't feel like their questions are being redundant because we've already covered them in detail. It would make more sense that way. So with that in mind, I'm going to move over to our Discord channel and find those questions, and here they are. So uh, first question, uh, this is coming from uh, Blinkaji, uh, our resident Vinland Saga expert and all-around swell guy. How does the death of our favorite Conehead affect this show's previous track record of commendable bald representation in anime? Uh, well, 
I have opinions on this. No surprises to anyone who happens to be watching this, you know, on the stream as opposed to listening in audio format. Clues in the head, of course. Uh, I am immensely offended by the fact that there are no more bald people in this. I mean, all this talk of representation anime, and there's no consideration for the bald people. When will our day come, I tell you? When? If it's one thing the anime is is fond of, it's uh, it's hair. They're very... Hair is, is important. It's very important in anime. It's given a lot of shine, a lot of thought as it goes into it. So it's tough, man. It's tough for them to to jettison the hair. Uh, mm. Yeah, they can always like do the hair effects that they would do to someone's facial hair, but oftentimes I don't know that just ends up being comical. I can only think of like uh, Louis Armstrong from uh, from uh, Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> uh, there's also uh, Golzine, but I don't think you want you know he he's not uh, the representative I'd want to lead my. Uh, leave my pack oh oh i'm sorry yeah exactly i mean excuse me for not wanting you know <laughs> the file to you know be a representative for anything to be quite honest are there any wow, bald I, people uh, in sherlock i can't think of one i think they all have hair of of a sort so i don't know yeah uh, uh that's no none none of them are bald oh sad sad day and, uh, and uh, that's the you, least of that show's you, problems, by the way. <laughs> could you, yeah, right? Could you call Ragnar bald? Wasn't he balding? Because he still had as like a skullet, right? You actually, you know what's funny? I've got the Amazon preview page in episode twelve, the land on the far bank. The thumbnail for that is of Ragnar, and indeed there is hair going up to like here, mm-hmm. and then coming round back. Uh, so yes, it would appear indeed that he is bald. Ball. So, if anything, Blinkaji, I think that the answer to your question is that it's always been awful, and I feel that you know the show is truly letting the side down. Get it right. <laughs> oh, bullshit. <laughs> so, uh, do we have it? Thank you, Blinkaji, uh, for submitting that question. Do we have any other patron questions? We do. Uh, this one okay. comes from the from Go 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 Atomic Robot, who's just joined us actually in chat. Shouts to you. I am. Uh, did the flashback to Canute's childhood change any of your feelings about the character? Well, this is what we call the can of worms question, because this will lead into pretty much everything that I want to talk about with regards to this episode's meaning, uh, which is mainly about fatherhood in many, many shades and forms. Uh, bear in mind what I said before about, you know, the term that Canute uses of father, like, you know, for both prayer and also for parenthood. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's the first thing, right? Um, Canute, like that we've seen previously up until this point, has been very, very introverted and very, very passive. I get the impression they've no one ever talked to Canute on that journey for, that they did on Cartback, or you know, um, in the early episode. I don't think he would have ever really moved. He would have probably just looked at his feet throughout the entirety of it. Mm-hmm. And I get the impression, if otherwise, he was never really disturbed. He wouldn't do anything other than just simply eat, sleep, pray, you know? Mm-hmm. That's basically it. Um, but what we see about Canute's childhood here is that he clearly had some initiative, and it was initiative born out of love for his father. I mean, going out of your way to cook uh, a family member a meal in general, especially at that age, and given, you know, how young you are, well, given, you know, the tools and knowledge of the time, which to say were minimal, I think that's a big deal. And it obviously 
meant it obviously had a big impact on me in turn because the king is like you know send this back to the kitchen boy this is a white castle this is bullshit so made a huge mess in his room like i know i know but here's the thing right this is all kind of woven together with how Thorfinn looks in this world because Thorfinn is very self-sufficient entirely i would argue um you know, hunting that rabbit himself, you know, and clearly he must have done that throughout much of his time, like, you know, traveling a because I can't imagine him willingly accepting food that was given out for, like, the rest of the men, if he could all help it. So, what we see here is, funnily enough, a kind of strange contrast between how, you know, clear, clearly Syrian wanted a, a son who was a warrior, someone who could kill on the battlefield, but didn't care for a son who could be self-sufficient in other ways, which seems like a kind of strange hypocrisy to me. Because if Sewin, you know, like as we see in this episode where like he looks like he's just a lo- load of tan leather on a skeleton, basically. Uh, if he was like, you know, wandering the wastes of like, you know, England or whatever, how long do you reckon you'd, you'd give him before he died? I would say five days maximum if I was being very generous. Man wouldn't know first thing about survival. He wouldn't know how to do a fire, he wouldn't know how to catch animals. He probably wouldn't know what he could eat safely. Um, I mean, some mushrooms are poisonous, after all, for example, unless you're beyond, in which case they're all fair game. <laughs> they're all fair game, right? Yeah, exactly. So, Canute, like, doing his own thing here of being self-sufficient and just, like, caring for himself, like, when all else fails, when the trappings of royalty, like, you know, of the slave girls that Sewin mentions, or indeed the example of the one who's feeding him meat at the start, when all those things fall away, the only thing you're left with is yourself. And so we see that he's got a little bit of that forfeit in him where he's like, you know, I've got to be self-sufficient. I've got to do my own thing. So we see that initiative there. But that initiative has clearly been smothered out of him. He's been shaped into fit into a role. Right. But the problem is that he's been too, basically too sheltered and too precious. It's the June analogy that I said previously where, you know, one of the, I think it was the Benny Jesuit mothers, I think it was... Uh, the book is immediately behind me, but I can't reach it from here and look at it off the screen. So I'm just going to say the old crone lady who, like, causes Paul to nearly burn his own hand off the side of the book. She says to Jessica, Paul's mother, you know, shelter him too much and he'll have no kind of destiny. Right. And there's a truth to that here. Because on the one hand, of course, we don't want Canute to become like Thorfinn, where he's just a ball of, like, solid hard rage and vengeance. But on the other hand, we really, you know, don't want him to be as he is right now, which is to say that he's too introverted, too shy and too timid to defend himself or care for himself or even stand up for himself. And we see changes in that, certainly, you know, like with the scene with, you know, him confronting the priest and all that. But there's a middle ground which he needs to reach. Um, but he was kind of at that when he was younger, but that seems to have been beaten out of him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, what I think about it is, so I was already, I mean, I already liked the character, uh, and the, this episode, you know, we see so much, uh, of him, you know, we see the outburst of the priest, which we'll talk about, uh, we see kind of how comfortable he is in his own skin when he's making uh, a meal, so we're already like, wow, like, here's some personality, you know, and then, uh, the... We see the flashback, and uh, this definitely sort of reinforces, I think, why he uh, why he's so afraid. You mm. know, he's seen uh, 
these kind of rages from his father. He's been taught to fear his father. He's been, like you said, put in this role of like where his father has all these definite ideas about kingship and there are a whole bunch of things he's not good at and the things mm. that the things that he is good at um, are unseemly for a king to do. You know what's you know what's deeply ironic about that though? For all the kids I did, just look at him. He is completely and utterly unimpressive as a king. The only thing he looks like to me is the, you know, the before section of a weight loss advert. He looks pathetic. He like for all that he's like, you know, I wish Canute was a warrior. Why is he sat on his ass back at, you know, the throne, you know, in the throne room back in Denmark, like lapping it up, enjoying like being fed, like, you know, slices of rotisserie meat by, you know, uh, that servant girl. I mean, do you, do you think put up our shut up, King Sewing? Put up our shut up, bro. Well, do you think he's just too kind of injured and old, like and and kind of infirm from the injuries, like because, like you said, he looks pretty scarred up. Um, well, shouldn't he? Well, the thing is, like, I I suppose you could make that argument, but then that would project a sense of weakness. You know. Sure. Yeah. Um, even if even even if it's just like you know for saving face, I suppose. I'd argue he should be out there as well. But now nah, he's just going to sit there and drink his booze and just constantly be like That's this. That's why you're not the king, because you don't think like... <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, we, we see in this scene, like, I think seeing this scene helps me recontextualize the part where he, Canute, kind of, we see him kind of break down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when Ascalad is, is saying like you need to say something or I can't even remember the exact context, but people are trying to get him to talk. And he's like, I can't, I just can't. He has like a, like a brain lock, you know, because if he uh, pisses off one group, uh, then, you know, it'll, they'll take it as the whole, like Mm. the Royal house pissing them off, like the country, like he, like that responsibility has been like so fearfully put on him and and in the person of his father that like, yeah, he just kind of uh, just cannot uh, take it. He's so afraid. And it seems like, you know, what happened uh, with the food, there's probably like a thousand of those where Mm -hmm. he he tried to do something that he could do well uh, and the king said, you know, fuck this. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. Or maybe he tried to do something that he knew the king liked and he screwed it up because he's not good at the things that the king likes. And the king reprimanded him and was angry with him. It's like, if you do this, you will fuck everything up. You know, the destiny of our house is at stake. The destiny of Denmark. Like, you can't screw this up. And like, yeah, so he's just probably this fearful guy. And he's had to like resort to cooking in secret. Which is a really funny thing to say, cooking in secret. That's like the name of their yeah. cooking, of the cooking show, uh, the, the yeah. Ragnar and Canute cooking hour. Cooking in secret with Prince <laughs> Canute. How to make a rabbit broth without being murdered by your king? <laughs> oh, you know how to avoid regicide while putting the right amount of seasoning in. As Great. I stir this pot, let's think about how Ascalad has stirred the pot this entire <laughs> series. <laughs> god he's been he's been going nuts in this particular episode i know i know he, he's been churning that butter that's for sure yeah uh but good if question there mention, emily if i may mention something else though, like i like villain saga has like made it clear thus far like that there's kind of a middle ground for a lot of the characters that we meet 
Uh, Four's one I've mentioned numerous times, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we can see characters who have gone too far to one end to the other, like Brother Askeladd, you know, is protest as or has protested. Oh, I carried my mother's like almost comatose body from that boat one time to bring her back to her homeland, and I hate the Danes for what they did to it. Like he has just literally killed, dare I say, Canute's father. Because let's be honest here, Ragnar is Canute's father. Sure. Like the mm -hmm. king? No, I don't think Sewin like Sewin basically probably did what Thor's did, which is where Canute came out, like you know, just held him up like that. I was like. Fuck's this shit? I want this. You have it. You take it. You mm -hmm. do what you want. Uh, whereas Ragnar clearly has cared quite a lot about Canute throughout much of his life. Um, but like we can see, like again, like Canute learning to cook for himself. That's a good skill to have, I would argue, because mm -hmm. again, when all else falls away, you've got to rely on yourself, and that's certainly the case here. So it's more comparisons with like Thorfinn, who has become self-sufficient and whom we can see has talents that would be better utilized elsewhere outside of the role he finds himself in. Those things are for the commoners to do. Oh. <laughs> um, so question about succession here. Um, oh, boy. When you look at, at Harold, he looks older than Canute to me. I mean, he's got the, the full beard and uh, he just has kind of a more older looking face. Mm -hmm. So... I might understand that Canute is older. Why is there some kind of dispute? Because you think that the throne would pass down to the eldest son. Mm. So well, well, is Harold a bastard I, I, I... child? Oh, is he Jon Snow? <laughs> he, he might be, Snowed, right? Yeah. Oh man, his his watch is over, man. Um, I'll answer I'll answer that question by saying this: like a lot of the times in throughout history, uh, succession was always a question of basically who's got the bigger dick, and by which I mean who's got the bigger <laughs> army. What, nothing if, really to what do if it was just a measure? <laughs> dick measuring contest. Nope. Too short. Sorry. Oh, dear. oh, no. That's unfortunate. But no, it really was just often a case of... That was the case certainly in Roman times, like, you know, where a lot of the emperors were assassinated by the generals or head generals of, you know, the legions, because they realized, oh, yeah, you've got one, two, three, four... Five people around you at all times to defend you. Do you know how many I've got out there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Have you got a couple of hours? I might be here for a little. Right. 12, 30, 40, right. 50, so, so on. Uh, so that's how it rules. So maybe one might argue that the succession here, yeah, Harold in an ideal world would go first. You know, he'd be first in line. But clearly, the factions, as they mentioned, who want to use Canute clearly don't care for Harold. And we'll have him as a rallying point. And obviously, if Harold then dies in battle, then well, there yeah, you go. right. There's got to be some kind of reason that uh, that they the nobility wouldn't be happy with him. Like you said, yeah. maybe he's too willful, or or you know, maybe they yeah. don't think they could control I'm, him. I mean, I would argue that they probably see Canute as very controlled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which makes a certain amount of sense because I'm now going to talk about Ragnar's relationship to him. So here's the thing, right? By I the think way, the are, are we finished with Patreon questions? I'm sorry, Shadon. Yes, okay. yes, we are. We just wanted to say really quickly, uh, thank you to uh, Blinkaji and Emily. And if you also want to ask us these Patreon questions and get such detailed answers, then go to <laughs> patreon.com slash show and sign up to become a patron. It's only the uh, $3 tier that... Uh, you know, gets you access to this feature of uh, asking the questions and getting the answers. But there are a couple of other budget-friendly tiers that we encourage you to look into. Um, and yeah, check us out. Damn right. 
Okay, so Ragnar's relationship with Canoe. Here's the thing, right? Ragnar, I believe, only ever had Canute's best interests at heart, or rather what he perceived as that. But he was always operating from a core of, like, love and caring, I would say. What a good dude. Man. Fucking Askeladd. God damn it. <laughs> I know. God. Yeah, like I said, the, the Askeladd classic. Man, uh, Ragnar was so good. He was such a good guy. Yeah. God, why did he have to How die, man? However, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a little bit of a hot take here, which ties into everything I've said about finding a middle ground. He was too good. Probably. This ties back into the thing I said about how Canute, like he said to Canute, oh, you know, your father, he's just having a bad day. No, he clearly wasn't having a bad day. He was having a very normal day, which is to say that he was fairly set. <laughs> having a normal one. <laughs> yeah, he was having a normal one for him, which was basically being a colossal swat. Yeah. But here's the thing, it's like I said about the example in, in June. Like, there is a middle ground that people need to have. And I'm not even just talking about, like, Viking princes. I'm talking about you, me, and I, and everyone else. Which is that sometimes we do need to operate in shades of grey and recognize things for what they are, rather than being sheltered from them living in a fantasy world. Sure. But conversely, that doesn't mean we need to be nihilistic, like Thorfinn is, where it's to the exclusion of everything else, in service of a, you know, like an absolute goal, like a, especially one of, of revenge. So all of Ragnar's actions that we've seen thus far, like where he's kept the prince very, very sheltered, that to me, I think, speaks to the sin of hubris that often um, this show is, is covered, as it did with Fors. Fors himself, you know, he only ever wanted to protect Thorfinn and the others. He didn't want to fight for his own soul as well. But the reality demanded that he did, and when he refused, I would argue that he paid a price beyond his own life, which is to say that his sons. Yeah, it's like they're, I... they're, they're punishing these guys who whose kind of cleverness has been dulled by their love because, mm -hmm. you know, Ragnar didn't catch on till too late. Uh, mm -hmm. Thor's, you know... I don't know. He, I, I guess, he thought Floki would just let him uh, go. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sail where he needed to sail. But mm -hmm. clearly, clearly, there was there was some trap. Uh, and yeah, so so yeah, maybe that's what's happening. Yeah, I think the show is ultimately critiquing this kind of moral and ethical solutionism um, that you know people can have. And I'm talking on both sides of the spectrum because obviously we have people like Fors and Ragnar who clearly very much, like, you know, care for the people under, you know, for their family uh, to the point where it's above all else. But that then actually damns their families, as it turns out. Whereas conversely, you have people like Askeladd, who, you know, he talks a big game about, like, you know, how his past was, like, destroyed in similar circumstances, but doesn't then ultimately stop it. And for him, like, you know, his own, you know, survival and wealth and privilege are sacrosancts he'll he'll bulldoze anyone in front of him for that hmm. but obviously these these like you know opposing viewpoints neither of them as far as the show presents are ideal right there is a middle ground you know where like i think back for example to thor's line um where he says to Thorfinn, you have no enemies no one has any enemies mm -hmm. here's the thing i don't sort of disagree with that in principle because I think it's a very idealistic 
shouldn't want to have any enemies. That's very reasonable, I think, and very admirable way to live if it can that can be that way. The problem is, is that even if you don't have any enemies, there are people who do, and people who will see you as that. People who come knocking at your door. People who come for things that you want. And then you have to be ready to defend yourself. Then they will become your enemy. Even if you don't have any, like people will put themselves in that role, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And like I say, I understand Fawz's perspective on that. I understand Ragnar's own perspective of like, you know, doing what he could for the prince to shelter him from all the horrific things he did by just like, you know, being nice to him and, you know, trying to carpet or wallpaper over the, uh, there's the wallpaper joke, by the way, you can tell that's still on my mind after recent events, like of wallpapering over the harsh reality of it. But it came at a price. It came at a price of sanding off the edges they needed to help them survive in this world. And so that's why I think the show is ultimately going far over is that it's criticizing going too far in one direction, good or bad, whatever way you want to paint it. And it asks instead that we adopt a certain kind of flexibility, you know, to how we approach situations and how we treat others. Like, okay, that doesn't mean you'd be an arsehole, but it means that, you know, sometimes you will have to get rough in order to, you know, defend your own interests and do what is right. Do you think Thorfinn is an exemplar of that flexibility? Or is, no, you, he yeah. isn't. He isn't yet, but there are hints of it. Mm-hmm. There are hints of it, because clearly he has many talents and and an imagination for like you know exploration. But he is so utterly consumed by his need for vengeance that he is on basically the same axis as Asgard in the system I just I kind of came up with, uh, and that ties back into cycles and such as we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But like with all that he's learned. He could, in theory, just leave at any time and go live his own life, and all of the things that he's learned would serve him really well. He'd be able to survive pretty much anywhere. But he's still stuck in this situation because of his the cage of his own making, basically. I'd like to question a basic assumption of this argument. Which is? That a character is dying is the show saying that their point of view is wrong. Well... No, because we, well, it's not just that, because obviously we've just mentioned Askeladd and Thorfinn, who are still very much alive. Knut mm-hmm. himself is like kind of gravitating towards the middle a little bit. So I don't think it, I think that you could say that it applies in those circumstances, but it's not absolute, mm-hmm. like where they die and that proves it. Like we could see even for the living characters, like the issues they have, you know, like where they, because of this place, like, Indeed, if you think about Forkel, he kind of does sit in that. I mean, sure, he's like, you know, going to war for the sport of it, but he's not cruel or callous. Mm -hmm. He just enjoys it as basically sport. And, you know, he spares Thorfinn, you know, that I'm not saying what he's doing is necessarily right, given the circumstances, but of all the people here that we've seen thus far, he's probably the most agreeable outside of his personality, I would say. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if there's a different, because I, Thor seems more and more to me like he's, you know, he's like the North Star, the guiding star of the show, morally. Like, you know, as in he's resurfaced <laughs> when those guys were uh, talking to the priest and talking about him. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if, like, Thor's dying is meant to 
be like a rejection of his of his viewpoint um not all of it i would argue because he certainly had like i think he i think he had a noble view and i don't disagree with his like you know desire for his own kind of freedom you know from mm-hmm. warfare and whatnot he just kind of got dragged back into it but when push came to shove in that particular moment with Ascalad, that's when i think he dropped the ball maybe it's not so much like you know an overarching philosophy as it is that moment by moment we sometimes have to reject our principles in order to do what is right yeah i don't uh, i i'm unsure i'm unsure if um because i mean well love right continues to be something that is brought well, up in the show yeah baby don't hurt me it's it's a question it's a question the show is asking and mm. you know uh we've seen uh we've seen thor's uh, exemplified it a great deal. Um, uh, love for his son and love for uh, his like principles, right? His his honor, which could be mm-hmm. like a different kind of thing, but like you know, and and you talk about Thorkell, you know, in his own weird sort of way, Thorkell loves something very much, uh, and. <laughs> I don't know. I, maybe all the characters, maybe or most of the characters, have something that they. Well, wasn't this what the priest love? mentioned in one of the previous episode? Hmm. Where he was questioning what it was. Yeah, I mean, I made right? that joke previously. I know. I, yeah, and and the I thing think... is, too much too much love can be poisonous. So, right? I mean, like like I've said about the sheltering of of Canute and the fact that you know, Forza's refusal to kill Ascalad allowed Bjorn to get the upper hand and capture Thorfinn so he hold him a ransom. As we killed him there and then, maybe that would have, you know, saved it. Who can say? We could what if it all day. Exactly. Like, yeah. But, yeah. But we, I, I. It's still to I, be demonstrated, I think, by the story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, 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 I agree. But I think, like, as I say, like, of all the things that we've seen thus far and all these hints that we've gotten about the characters' past, where, yeah, heinous shit has happened to them and it's understandable how they've, like, gravitated to where they are. But none of them are in an ideal place, really, like m- morally or like philosophically, or the way they view the world. Mm-hmm. Like I already know because this has kind of been hinted at by people who spoke to me about the show. I know that Forfin is eventually going to end up becoming a farmer. I know that for a fact, right? Um, and we want the thing is like, even if that wasn't actually what happened in the show's run or the, the run of the manga, like it was only ever like a possibility. Mm-hmm. That's still something we would want to see as audience, as the audience, this story. We'd want to see him in that place because it's where he would be happy and content. Um, so, like I say, I think that the show is just again questioning like this kind of absolutism that, that some of the characters have, where they operate too much on either the moral light side or dark side, if you want to use those terms. You know that there's there's a middle ground, like you know, of, if only hey, the power. Yeah, hey, you should be able to defend yourself if necessary, but that doesn't mean you go seeking out a fight. Maybe that's more like what's in line. And I think that's a reasonable... You know, I don't go out seeking fights when I go out, for example, drinking. It doesn't mean I won't defend myself if someone, you know, starts getting aggressive or violent towards me. It doesn't mean oh, I kill. Oh, sure. Over. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable point of view yeah. for... Um, for you know, we, yeah, we can then discuss the, you know intricacies of like how much force one should reasonably use to defend themselves such as in Fawz's case for example where I would still argue he should have killed Ascalad sure but... I, I guess like yeah I'm 
I'm trying to keep an, uh, I think, an, m more of an open mind about, you know, how these current events and future events of Vinland Saga uh, recolor, maybe, in my mind, what was going on in those early episodes. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, what it's about, you know. I think as it goes on, I... I'm wondering, like, okay, like, what is the show about? Like, Well, I have another thing to say, which is, bear in mind what we said before about the scene in which the priest prays to God and questions, you know, our father, like, why have you forsaken us? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I have a lot to say about that. Well, I'll actually let you go ahead now, because I was about to leave that, but I have a... ...dovetail into it. So, mm. hi-ho, off you go! <laughs> Well, I really like I, I love that scene because I think it does so much for the priest and uh, Canute. I think the priest needed this moment to be further humanized. I think mm -hmm. he had been humanized before in his conversations with uh, the two kind of brothers in arms. But like mm -hmm. we this sort of let you know like he's clearly capable of observing what's going on around him and being affected yeah. by it um and i mean everybody like all sort of people who are deeply faithful i think have what uh i think mother Teresa, you know called her dark night of the soul like doubt is kind of an integral part of uh faith i think a lot of learned people mm. will will tell you um because I mean, the world is a fucker and if you Ain't have the truth yeah and if you have sympathy and empathy uh it becomes very very hard like coping with uh suffering and reconciling that to belief in a loving god it is a difficult thing and the the priest is having that moment but also, this scene does so much for Canute because rather than the priest, he gets to be kind of the zealot. And I think that that just suits the character and it suits um, the situation. And, like, you can add something like that to Canute's character and it will be a layer, whereas if the priest was more of a zealot, it would kind of define him and be his, like, only character trait. And this is just mm -hmm. sort of another part of Canute that is interesting and speaks to i think what you were talking about how he yes. was sheltered because like he he clearly i mean he's he saw something horrible in the slaughter mm -hmm. of this village but like yep he hasn't like endured a life of it he hasn't seen a lot of it clearly and so he's still mm -hmm. able to keep his faith and condemn other people for doubting and he doesn't use the word, uh, oh, he might use the word faith, but like the phrase I latched onto was the love of the father. Um, mm -hmm. How could you doubt your father's love? I had to, <coughs> excuse me, pardon me. And there's that, there's that word again, right? Love. That's, uh, he's doubting, the priest is doubting the love of the father, right? The thing mm -hmm. that he's looking for uh, out there in the world. And he like, you know, you know, he's like, oh, God, you say that you you love uh, all men. You know, we know you love yeah. good men and bad men, but like, can you? But I don't know if you hear me because these awful things are happening, and and 
yeah, I just love that Canute used that phrase, and I think his outburst uh, was so, uh, again, it does a lot for his character, and this scene also connects last episode and brings it into the ongoing story in a way that, like, you know, we thought last week, oh, this could be like a one-off because it seems so self-contained, but here we have these people praying. Lasting consequences, yeah. Yeah, and they've been affected by it, and it's uh, carried over to kind of character development for this episode. And, like, the and, and it, it has a lot of repercussions, I think, on Askeladd and his men, who, when... If they it it comes to light that they're discovered not ten days after settling in, it's like, oh my god, we did this horrible thing for nothing. God damn it! Um, Well, if I may just follow what you said there, like I think that actually that scene just reinforces why I said in that the priest is at least willing to question his faith. Because means when one questions faith, doesn't mean you abandon it. You can question come right back around to believing it again. It just means you take a step back and critically re-examine it, which I think is reasonable. You know, I don't think it's like hard, like a bad thing, yeah. like you know, to question your faith every now and again, especially if you are challenged by really trying shit like this. Here. Whereas Canoe, he almost feels like he's too much into the dogma. I would say, which again speaks to the thing I said before about that lack of flexibility in thinking. Mm-hmm. Now he's getting there. He's changing, certainly, by my memory of him actually having that outburst in the first place. That is a step in the right direction. Yeah. But in a similar way, just simply because he's questioning that, I think he's wrong that just because the priest is questioning his faith that that makes him a bad Christian. If anything, I'd argue that probably makes him a better one because at least he's willing to, you know, yeah. see things what they are, but reinterpret them differently and reaffirm one's faith. Totally. Uh-huh. Zealotry is a dangerous thing to have, if I say so myself. And there's something else I should mention, which I think that this show also has something else to say. Believe it or not, I think this is actually supplanted or supported by uh, uh, Makoto Yukimura's like afterword of the entire manga, which someone posted online that I read recently. Although, thankfully, there are no spoilers. In which Wait he a said, "Is the manga over?" I maybe pass. I, I don't didn't know. know that. I thought it was still ongoing. Wherever I could be wrong, but it would seem like to me that this was makes sense as to why this was there. Okay. But basically, he said that like you know. Fathers are shit. They keep like you know. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure you have a very strong. Disagreement. No offense. No offense taken. Are you going to have a fist fight with Mikosa Yukimura? No, because gonna... my father was shit. So I I believe it. <laughs> ah, there we go. Thank you, Fail. Um, I won't. The end of the actual whole series. I it was just the volume, but he mentions like about how the mothers are the ones who truly care about their children, whereas fathers are not great. To be honest, they they suck. Um. But here's the thing, right? If you look at all of the fathers that we've seen throughout the show thus far, like at least as far as the main characters go, and I'm going to throw God in on this one as well because that's the comparison I made before. Get in here. Get in here, Big G. <laughs> yeah, you you, you could sit down as well and have your stance on it too. Like, God has failed them there by, I mean, like it's like that age-old philosophical or theological question of if you're omnipotent and you're omnipresent, do something. Yeah, you know, and you and you like, love people. Yeah, if you, if you're, you're all caring, all knowing, and all powerful, like you might want to, you know, yeah, just maybe do something, intervene, bit of wrath, you know. We have some Old Testament here and there. No, oh well, fair enough then. So that father 
the literal our father, he are in heaven and he don't give no fucks. <laughs> uh, so that but that's a failure there of a father. Yeah. Thor's uh, in turn failed in his own way because his actions have left his son like, you know, in the care of the pirate who killed him and turned him into a twisted murder machine. And Ragnar's failure is keeping Canute to shelter to be able to survive on his own. I mean, King Sarwin's failure. <laughs> King Sarwin's failure, yes. Yeah. No father in this show thus far, as far as the main character is concerned, has done every, like, I'm not saying, you know, fatherhood is a flawless thing. I mean, why am I talking about it? You're the one who should be talking about the difficulties of fatherhood and that it's not a cakewalk. Um, but at the same time, like, the flaws that they all have about Asglad, he arguably is Thorfinn's new father. And oh. by howdy has he been a fucking... God, don't say that. Uh, yeah, I hope... I've... Let's hope Thorfinn died. I hope he doesn't father a child. <laughs> Yo, dear. It's going to be bad. Man, It's yeah, it's going to be bad. So I'm thinking that the show also has kind of like a, you know, far, like rejects your, you know, the ways of the father, you know, find your own path in life. Which also then would tie into mm-hmm. the exploration angle, which is seek out new things. Don't be stuck with the familiar. There's layers, man. There's layers to everything I in know. this. It's, I know. it's good shit. It's, it's, it's really good shit. Real good shit. As Vince yeah. McMahon would say. <laughs> Indeed. Um, right. I'm actually all talks out as far as talking points go. I mean, I don't think I have much else to add about, for example, Falkel, because Falkel is just Falkel and he's great. All right. Not well, said. I, I got some, so... Uh... Here, here we go. All right. Speaking of Thorkel, um, this episode for me confirmed something, and other people might have come to this conclusion already, or obviously know it because they've read farther ahead. But there was part of me that was thinking, like, okay, look, well, what Thorkel really wants is to, uh, to go to Valhalla, right? To to fall in battle, and mm-hmm. like he doesn't. He doesn't want to, um, and that's why he's not picked the winning side. That's why he's picked England, despite them wanting to, like, looking like they're going to lose, like, because he wants to be in all these battles and eventually die. But uh, mm-hmm. he says, I love fighting, but hate losing. <laughs> like, so it turns out he just backs himself and, like, loves really challenging battles. And, uh, you know, uh, it's it's like... Uh, Falkel only in... plays Dark Souls. <laughs> exactly. He's uh, from Soft's Thorkel. <laughs> it's a, like, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely like, okay, this closes the book on that idea for me. I forget who said earlier that, you know, in the manga, Thorkel says, you know, warriors to war like a fish is to water. Like, he just likes, he loves warring and uh, not necessarily losing. So that was really uh, cool for me. He's he's been making a four killing out of it. He, he has. Um, when um, when Thorfinn was in you know their cabin and the guy knocked on the door and instantly had a knife at his throat, I was just like you know fuck yes like because to me what this uh, this scene juxtaposed with kind of how grateful he was for the hot meal, reluctantly so, of course. It, I mean, you could argue he was just doing his duty, but it felt like his heart was really, really in it. You know, he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, 
protecting uh Canute with a vigor and a uh how do you call it like a, a zest that to me like fervor yeah a fervor yes it connotes that like there's more even he may not even realize it but there's starting to be more to their relationship than just the totally professional like body he's having he's having you know feelings of friendship and camaraderie after all the you know being dead inside or other feelings no uh yeah no for sure and uh are we are we covering given still we might (laughs) yes we definitely we we might Um, be i can't let's see let's see forfin and canute's new music uh, we talked about how Askeladd got fucked, and what a tremendous moment. Like, how he's just like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? And, like, he just knows. Well, he was on the way to so do it, and then you stabbed it, you screwed. dick. Uh, he could have told them this ages ago, though. But 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 it's fine Never that asked. he didn't. Like, it's, it's, it's fine that he sort of kept that to himself. I mean, that's an important detail. Um... And he didn't know Askeladd's scheming, but it's like, yeah, Askeladd is really, like, he is he's definitely in the the twilight. I think remember that scene a few a few uh, episodes back yeah. with the cycles, like, you know, it's 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 autumn for you, buddy. <laughs> like, I think it's it's uh, it's gonna winding down for you. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, do do we think that Thorfinn will react to Knut's father dying? I think that not the axe itself. Uh, like when he finds out Ragnar's dead, he's <laughs> like and in his way, these wants to like. like but then, shit. but then, <laughs> but then he will learn the details of it, and he'll learn, he'll see Knut's reaction. And I don't think Thorfinn will have a very strong reaction. But bearing in mind this is Thorfinn at this point, for whom emotions are like you know <laughs> peripheral and baggage and you know yeah. boat anchors around oneself mm-hmm. uh i think he will still have a reaction on less because he will see the parallels that we can already see totally uh yeah i think he might be annoyed about it but then yeah like you said co- kind of come around to seeing it as a more significant event um, mm-hmm. so um i mean hell can you imagine what like farfin would think if he realized himself I could have murdered Askeladd, as I've said many times, in, mm-hmm. you know, his sleep or anything like that. And my inaction, again, here's me talking about rigid thinking here being the enemy in this show. My inaction has allowed many, many horrible things to happen because Askeladd is still alive, not least of which is the death of this man's surrogate father. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Now, again, not advocating murder as, like, you know, an easy, necessary, or good thing in any way, shape, or form. But, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes, desperate times, desperate measures and all that. Um, Just saying. Yeah. Well, I guess, um, I guess uh, Massa Kettle, uh, 444. Um, there, there are a lot of ways I could see it going. Like, I could see the king believing like so at this point everyone in denmark believes canute is dead so that pr has already been distributed to the people so if the king gets 
word from an informant that like, oh, he's actually on his way. All he has to do is just send an assassin to kill him. And mm-hmm. everyone still believes the English killed Hell, Canute, I'll, or, I'll go one bet. I'll go one bet. If you have Asgard turn up and, you know, he, he you know, he's like, all right, I demand payment for life. And he's like, I'll do you one better. You can demand payment for Canute's death if you take him out back and stab him and be on your way and then, you know, make it look like it had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's... And now... this is why I should have been on Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Now, now that... Uh... Now that it's in play, and that everyone seems to believe this thing about him being missing and probably dead, it's so much easier for the king to just secretly get rid of him. Um, mm-hmm. People, I mean, people if, would not point the fing- finger at him so quickly. I mean, we're well before the time of fingerprints, blood spot analysis, and you know, mm-hmm. people wearing shades to you know the who or whoever it was screaming in the background. So. I think that he could quite easily make it look like his son got, you know, off by some random, as opposed to, you know, a bit of, uh, well, again, re- regicide, infanticide, again, all the sides in here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right, all the sides. Um, uh, will Askeladd just take him there as a hostage? I wonder. I don't I don't really see the play. But, I mean... I. Not, not to say it's not there. I didn't write the book. There's probably something I'm not seeing easily. But like, what's the play for him? Uh, to ransom him and then just die? <laughs> I feel like either he's going to get the gold and then die, or the king will just send people to kill all of him, including Canute. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think he's just got to go into exile at this point, right? Well, he's lived as a pirate all his life, running from the... anyway. That's really big. That big a deal. I mean, it's not like Interpol exists here, you know, or they can start tracking him by GPS or anything. It'll be fairly easy for him to slip away, I would argue. Um, and he doesn't care for the Danes anyway, and he's got a whole mm-hmm. whales. Yeah, it's exactly. Not... So this is so this is not really the end of the world. I'm glad. The key thing that he needs to do now is just get out of the immediate situation he's in, which is that oh shit, uh, we've got you know the guy that makes the mythological minotaur look like you know a little mewling pussycat coming barreling down our door the man who, the man who swings tree trunks around like the fucking pencils the maybe man, i will sell them he's craving a game of battleship now yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah so interesting uh and the last point i have to talk about is re ragnar um and two things to say just uh i realized what was happening a little bit before Ragnar himself did. Like yeah, when, I, I, I saw the writing on the wall about that. Like when they're showing uh, soldiers like did distance away from him, you know, the, there's some really nice framing with the trees yeah. and such to say they keep them separated so they're clearly not part of the same group visually, mm-hmm. uh, including the use of shadows for that as well. And the uh, sun is setting. Sunset, yeah. Um, the bear tree. Something about like, the like you said, the distance between the two in front and Ragnar and the shot composition of uh, uh, just seeing them in profile kind of walking. Like it just visually struck me as a death march. And I was like, Oh no. Oh no. And then a couple shots later he figured it out. And that just was like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, it really got me. And uh, I was like, did not, I realized how much I didn't want it to happen, especially after the scenes in the cabin. But the question mm. I have for you, Shadon, is 
So as as he's uh, bleeding out finally and uh, kind of uttering his last words, you know, he's talking about uh, cooking poultry again for the king to, uh, you know, he, he's talking to Canute here. Um, and do you think he really believed what he was saying? Like, do you think he really believes, oh, if it's peacetime and we do this, your father will will love it. Your father will love you. Like, we just have to do it at the right moment. Or was it all totally just like, did he, like, convince himself because he was trying to convince uh, Canute? Maybe he believed in the fantasy as much as Canute did. Because, mm. I mean, if you're, like, the attendant to the king's son, if you're that close to Maltime mm-hmm. and you see what a pitiful, you know, mess he's turned into, like, where he's just barely skin and bones, you know, and he doesn't do anything other than just sit on his throne, drinking booze, eating... I mean, basically doing the 4 kel thing, except without actually doing... You know the thing that brings real glory, fighting. Right. I mean, yeah, he wouldn't be very good at it, but at least he would try. You know, better than slouching on your throne all day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe the lie is as much for him as it is for Canute. Who can say? Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. Like, oh, it hurts, man. This this would hurt to, me more to, than to, I to thought it di- would. To, yeah, to have died in vain. You know, looking after Canute when a the you know king was sending canoe out to die anyway and presumably ragnar as well assuming he'd get swept up in it only then to be rescued by a pirate who decides oh you know what completely coincidentally without any foreknowledge of that i'll kill you anyway because i'm just gonna dick with your you know surrogate son yeah i mean here's the thing right the funny thing is like asglad mentions i'm doing this to help you help canoe grow yeah yeah and after a fashion yes and in a certain I mean, strange kind sure. of principle way, I agree. Canute sure. does need to grow and mm-hmm. mature. But learning from the Askeladd playbook, no thank you. He's only going to perpetuate more of the shit that he himself said was not... And this is the Danes who are doing it. I hate the Danes, so I'm going to, you know, corrupt and mindfuck their, like, potential next king and, you know, po- potentially put him in charge of a throne where he can commit decades' worth of more atrocities. Nice one, Askeladd. Great plan. Real fucking smart. Because guess what Canute will do? He'll find out that you killed, you know, Ragnar, and he, when he gets back on the throne, he's going to march every single Dane in his army, you know, over to Wales, and he's going to have his very little way with it. Bravo! This is such a brilliant plan! Ah. I like Asgard and all that, even though he is a complete cunt. Excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not fair. Demonetized. <laughs> yeah, you know, we well, we were already banned off YouTube anyway. Besides, <laughs> I smell like a sailor as it is, so who gives a shit? But like, only like a month left until we can get back on YouTube <laughs> for the live well, we'll bring, for live streams, and we'll be live for two days before we get banned <laughs> off it. Yeah, exactly. Why not? We'll make even the challenge out of it. But like. Even as much as I like him, and as I say, I understand that like morally he's you know completely compromised and ethically. Uh, I don't think his plan has really got you know the legs it needs. I think this is one of his uh, turkey, shall we say? <sighs> yeah. yeah. Well, but well, with Ragnar's death though, like I mean, actually, come to think of it, how appropriate. Ragnar, Ragnarok, 
Mm-hmm. We're starting the the beginning of the end here. Yeah. And as we've alluded to before in uh, Viking, uh, Ragnarok is not strictly speaking the end of the world. It is a re a cycle of rebirth of setting mm-hmm. new things up. So with the with the starting gunshot now of this all going off, uh, and we also saw the preview of episode sixteen in which Canute's got a look on his face like he's just opened up four champ for the first time. <laughs> um, I haven't seen yeah. the preview, but but yeah, this uh. is this is gonna go downhill real fast for all involved. Uh, this is the point where you know we are off the rails, so uh, buckle up, folks. Shit's gonna go down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man. Okay, well, I'm excited. Uh, I am too. I'm pumped. Yeah. Well, can I go ahead and give you my rating for this episode? Uh, what about or, or do we do Twitter first? Okay. Let's check the twi- Let's check the twists. All right. I'm updating. Let's check the twists. Da 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 da. Go to at Waterida Show if you would like to participate in the polls, uh, and please do. They'll be up for a week. Um, poll number one: How do you feel about the Ragnar diet? Uh, love it. Need those veggie is leading at 42%. And uh, this is closely contested because at 33% is uh, it's best but no likey. And no meat is at 25%. No surprises that I picked that one. But... <laughs> uh, poll two. Who wins a drinking contest between uh, Thorkel and Bjorn? Uh, 50% say Thorkel. 7% say Bjorn, and 43% says it's a draw, but they become BFF. If it's mushroom ale, you know Bjorn <laughs> winning. Uh, with an unspecified ale, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Poll number three, did you see it coming that Ragnar was a bad motherfucker? Uh, 56% say hell yeah. Uh, 44%, and you will need to be including me in that when I vote, is hell no, I did not see him. As like mm-hmm. such a badass that he really did prove to be this episode, I feel. Mm-hmm. And those All right the polls. then. Thank you to everyone who's voted so far. But as Doc said, do check them out at Warrior Death Show. Uh, drop thoughts in there. So ratings. Um, I will pass this over to you. Firstly, Doc, how do you feel about the episode? Give us your, you know, out of five. Mm, I I loved it. Like for everything that we have said, there's like connective tissue to the other stories mm-hmm. that were good there's like portents of future shit there's all kinds of great stuff herein uh, i'm gonna give this episode uh 4.5 out of 5 uh blonde eyelashes of a servant girl because <laughs> they were very blonde she needs to get those fixed then, in that case she's only got half of one and she's only got four of them, come to think of they it. Good very God. Blonde. Or eyebrows, I guess. I don't know. Eyebrows is what it was, yes. Or blonde oh, eyebrows geez. out of five. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, so, um, for me, like, beyond everything we've discussed, like, I think this episode handles its tone really well because it allows itself a couple of light moments, mostly with, well, almost entirely, actually, with Falkel. But they never feel jarring or distant. Like, he seems to occupy this own kind of space where he can get away with being, like, his kind of, like, you know, flamboyant, like, you know, biggest presence in the room, you like, you know, and even a little childish and a little immature, but still always entertaining without clashing against the much heavier stuff that the show handles in its other scenes. And I really appreciate that. So it's not entirely a downer episode, but I also really, really um, liked how, as I say, 
we've got these ideas of fatherhood, the critical analysis, you know, of the failures of the previous characters, the assertion that the absolutism that certain characters have, close on, entirely or not entirely, you know, all the way there, is in itself a problem and there needs to be a nice middle ground. There's plenty of meat to chew on in here. Mm -hmm. And even the backgrounds really did quite well. I mean, the some of the stuff in the show has been a bit shaky for Ice Run. When it hits, it really hits well, especially in the scene in which Ragnar is executed. Mm -hmm. um, so I really enjoyed it. I'm also, I mean, I don't like to see Ragnar die, to be quite honest. In turn, like, he was, you know, he was a good character and a good guy. But now we're getting what I wanted, which is that I wanted to see things pick up. Like, I want to see them pick up on a personal stakes level for our characters here to kind of bring it back to the way it was at the very beginning, where it was very personal and very intimate. So now we've only Thorfinn and Canute left, and with the effects of th this death uh, coming about um, and how it's going to ultimately traumatize and, and hurt him and then see how he reacts to that. Like, I'm really, really glad that this is now picking it, you know, picking up, like, in a big way. Um so I don't really have many criticisms of the episode, to be quite honest, although I don't think it's the the show's best. I do think there's, that still remains as in the earlier stuff that we've discussed, particularly the stuff around Falls. That will probably remain the high one for me. With all that said, uh, I am going to give this episode... I'm actually going to give it the same rating as you for once. I'm going to give it 4.5 Ragnar and Canute's Cooking Hour programs out of 5. <laughs> oh, as our world stirs... Um... Hello, Dana. You've you've come in right at the end here. <laughs> you've just rated the episode. We're, we're, we're just about to head out the door. <laughs> sorry. Can, yeah, the VOD will be up uh, very, very soon. It should be up on Twitch like immediately. And Indeed. We'll, we'll get it up on YouTube uh, early tomorrow. Absolutely. Well, folks, uh, that brings us to the end of After Yule, uh, the January episode of uh, Vinland Saga. And it was a bit of a downer for characters in here. Nonetheless, uh, we'll be back next week, of course, to cover episode 16, where I imagine that, well, if it's not titled The Shit Hits the Fan, then I don't know what they're going to call the episode, to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, if you've enjoyed this stream and would like to help support us, do feel free to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash show. Got a couple of different tiers in there, a couple of different features, including Discord access, early access to our um, second stream, which is currently covering Kabuchiko Sherlock. I'm sure I've pronounced that whatever, <laughs> uh, as well as uh, pipelines such as uh, I'm going to have Tokyo Godfather's finished fairly soon. I'm actually closing in on the finishing touch to the script. Um, you can even then, if you get onto the highest tier, the $5 one, you know, request us to cover specific shows you want. Like Tokyo Godfather's was requested by one of our patrons. So in turn, if you would like me or Doc, you know, to take a you know stab at a show that you're quite fond of or something you want us to, you know, verbally eviscerate. Yes. Dude, go for it. We're, that'd be that'd be fantastic. And if you're listening to this elsewhere, uh, if you're, for example, say, catching this on YouTube or on Switch or on SoundCloud, do me a solid. Just, you know, drop us a cheeky little like, subscribe, you know, a little bit of feedback here and there, wherever you can. If you can just uh, give us a hand by dropping us ratings and such, it really does help our discoverability, and I would immensely appreciate it. Yeah, so, and, so for some reason, the YouTube sub count continues to grow despite us not being able to live stream on there um, well clearly we need to break the live stream more often on there we need to, <laughs> Fairly we need, so. well what next are, you, are we are we up for the uh, live stream of a uh, group watch of Arutsudoki? <laughs> or you it? yeah right uh hmm? uh, uh doji doji yeah. 
right? I think that's a big no, that. <laughs> that's a big no. <laughs> no. Uh, by the way, don't record. Just, just saying, please don't. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that particularly disturbing note, uh, I am going to bid you all a very good evening. So from myself and Doc, thank you all very much for joining us um, for episode 15 after Yule. We'll be back next week as promised. And until then, you know, unless you're working for Harmony Gold, in which case go fuck yourself, uh, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. And a very good night. Good night. <laughs>